0: Almost 40 years ago in 1981, Reed Martin and I performed on stage together for the very first time in a production of the University of California at Berkeley of Eugene Ionesco's Jack or the Submission, directed by Douglas Ferguson. And I believe it was in that rehearsal process that Doug imparted to us a philosophy that Reed and I have carried over into all of our Reduced Shakespeare Company work, and I would argue all of my work across the board and across all media, and that is the embrace of the absurd, the embrace of silliness, and always telling yourself, yes, it may be silly, but is it truly silly? I've climbed the mountaintop now to meet <laughs> Doug Perguson again. Doug, am I, are, am I remembering your wisdom
1: correctly? Yes, generally, yes.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 742 Truth in Silliness. As many of you know, RSC founding member Jess Winfield, Reed Martin, and I are all graduates of the Drama Department at the University of California at Berkeley, and Reed and I have brought some of the energy of that time into the RSC over the years. Well, over the holidays, another Cal Drama Department alum, novelist Gillian Bagwell, created a Facebook group called Cal Drama Department Through the Ages. And Reed and I have been enjoying multiple trips down memory lane as we've been reconnecting with so many old friends and colleagues. One of those old friends is Doug Ferguson, who, in my memory, is a wise student philosopher king. But, of course, he's far more down-to-earth than that. And since Reed and I really do tell all of our actors to embrace the truth in the silliness, I'm sort of kicking myself that I'm only now speaking to the man who taught us what that means. Doug began our conversation by gently and slightly correcting my spelling and punctuation.
1: The words I actually used back in the day was truly silly, T-R-U-E-L-Y L-Y, silly. But it is the same thing. The same thing as truth and silliness, the same thing as truthfully silly and various other ways you can say it. Yeah. Uh,
0: yes. Well, and, and it, that was revelatory to me in many ways, um, especially in the Berkeley drama department, which tended to take itself rather seriously <laughs> about things. And and for me the revelatory thing about what you said is not not that there should be truth in what you do because there should be truth in everything you do on stage, but that you ought not to reject outright silliness or absurdity. We should embrace it with truth. That was my big takeaway from what you said. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I, that's I totally agree. That's well phrased what you just said. Oh shoot! Like one that. of us. One of us should write that down. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and 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 how did you come
0: up cross? Come upon w- this wisdom? Was it was it hard earned? Was it uh, extempore of your mother wit? Did you learn it at some great philosopher's
1: knee? Uh. <laughs> you know, I don't recall learning it from anybody or anything. I just recall having watched a lot of theater and movies and TV and so forth, and just arriving at that on my own, that to me, those were the the best and funniest moments in comedies is when the absurdity or the silliness was completely grounded in truth. And those were the funniest moments to me. And that's how I, I, I would just focus on that, like, okay, that's what I want to bring to these shows I'm directing or whatever, or acting in. Right. Well, and it's, and, and I think the minute you said
0: it, you know, the light bulb went on with me. Of course. I mean, it seems like, well, duh, of course. And yet you see so much uh, bad acting and over the top comedies, um, or, and even over the top, I don't know dramas, melodramas, where yeah. where it isn't grounded in any sort of truth, and 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 truth doesn't mean realism either. Mm-mm, no, I mean that's this was the, this was the other great lesson of that first production of of Jack or the Submission, a and a, and a, a, a classically absurd piece of dramatic literature where the text makes almost zero sense,
1: right. so you
0: have to come up with Subtext and a narrative that makes sense using those words.
1: Right, right.
0: And when we, do you remember when we direct when you directed us in that show? Reed and I and others. Do you, do you remember? Did had you figured it out before we started rehearsal, or did did the actors help you figure it out? Uh,
1: the actors helped me figure it out. I I always wanted and when you encourage the actors to come up with their own version of what they they think the truth of the scenes were, Um, and it always turned out much better than me trying to tell you what I thought it might be. I mean, yes, I would then shape it after everybody started coming up with things that they thought were right, and then I would start shaping it, but I didn't have too much ahead of the time of this is what it's going to be like.
0: Well, it's one of those,
1: I mean, I went on and
0: got my MFA in directing, so technically I'm supposed to be trained to know how to do this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. at least did that, but but I, for years I thought, oh God, I better have all the answers. I better have <laughs> all the answers when I get it to re- day one of rehearsal, and uh, boy, it's so much more interesting and profound work when you involve everybody the actors the designers everybody into the the process and then do that thing that you're talking about of of shaping it
1: yeah yeah if you have the luxury of time yeah that that always was an issue well not always but if you're really pressed with a deadline then it's harder to because it takes longer yeah to get everyone to start Working on their own truth and, you know, shaping and figuring out. It's much quicker to say, <laughs> move here, do that, and here's your line reading. <laughs> and I'm not above that, God knows. <laughs> <laughs> but ideally, if you have the time, it turns out much better, I think, if everyone's involved from the beginning and creating it together. I remember once, one. one a
0: specific instance and I'm not sure this is illustrative of, of anything except that I had a line in Jack of the Submission. You know, we were arguing about whether somebody was pretty or not. And I my line was, but she's ugly. Right. Meaning in the context of the play, meaning she's extraordinarily beautiful. Right. And I remember in one rehearsal going, but she's but ugly. <laughs> and as as and, and you I remember you loving that addition because but ugly in the meaning of, in the context of this play meant extremely beautiful.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, and that was a, 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 an example of, of a director letting an actor go, yeah, all right, you can have that.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember actually, there was one review of the play where they singled that line out and they said, well, I don't think Gene Unesco wrote that line. <laughs> That's a good example, I I just, the truth of that line was very opposite from what the line is generally meant to be. And also the, the extreme way it was expressed, it wasn't just you saying, oh, she's ugly. Right. It was you kind of almost screaming and declaring to the entire world that she was ugly or beautiful. Right. And that's a, a whole, a big part of being truly silly is that you you have the basis of the truth and yet that truth can take you to the very extreme of what, you, what you're saying, way beyond what you would do in say a drama probably. But because the truth is there at the bottom, the extreme behavior or line can be very funny because it's real. Right. And the audience believes it.
0: And because the actors are invested in the ridiculous scenario, the audience can become invested as well. Right. I mean, I find this is the thing that happens. The the thing that we see most frequently happen when people direct, um, do their own productions of reduced Shakespeare company shows is that they don't treat it realistically as possible Uh, they don't invest it with enough truth and i think it just well first i don't think it works but also i don't i think it short changes the audience it doesn't it doesn't give the audience it doesn't allow the audience to invest in the reality of what's going on and if so if the actors don't care enough to invest in their truth why should the audience care
1: yeah oh yeah no it's a better experience all around if if the actors are invested in the truth of the silliness.
0: I'm John Horn on KPCC, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Right now the only place to see the Remote Shakespeare Company is online. We've created a brand new page at our website reducedshakespeare.com and a playlist on our YouTube page where right this second you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. You can also grab your own copy of Pop-up Shakespeare written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide and you can find links to independent bookstores in the US and the UK on our website. And now back to my conversation with Doug Ferguson, who first expressed to me and Reed the vital importance of keeping things truly silly. Because I feel like, um, oh, yeah, this has become clearer to me over the years. And yet you expressed it at age 20-whatever <laughs> in college. <laughs> um, so I'm 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 uh, uh, envious of your um, uh, youthful wisdom.
1: Well, thank you. <laughs> no, I uh, yeah, it's it's in a sense I peaked too early. <laughs> no, uh, that's not true. <laughs> but it that did yeah, it was fortunate that that came clear to me early, so that. I was able to put on some pretty damn funny, silly shows that were rooted in truthfulness and people enjoyed watching, which was great, I loved it. Yeah, Uh, and it was great training. And for a while, were you, you were making films
0: for a while, weren't you? I mean, you've graduated to editing now for your living, but were you, was that a goal for you was to try to keep doing this kind of work either in live theater or in film?
1: It was, um, and I did a little bit of it after college, some theater and and independent films. But the I was too much uh, swayed by the fact that I wasn't making any money doing it. Yeah. So the the career making some money turned out to be more important, and you know which is fine. Yeah. Most people come to that uh, realization or that reckoning and you kind of leave some of your artistic uh, desires behind a little bit, you know, maybe you guys didn't so much though, reduce Shakespeare. That's pretty well, uh, you know, kind of what we were all hoping to attain back then, I think.
0: Well, and I mean, the only reason I think we've been able to succeed and sustain is or, uh, is we 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 i we don't do it just one thing i mean we're re- reed and i are writing directing acting um but and producing and running a small business mm-hmm. and so it's those combination putting on all those different hats sometimes at the same time sometimes at different times yeah. um you know i would god my fantasy is somebody pays me enough money to do just one thing and um and uh, that has not happened uh, and at the same time be careful what you wish for i wouldn't be happy doing that either because i have a very low boredom threshold so i i love being able to act and then i love i love being able to direct and express my vision but then if i really want to do that i should really write um, but I love being collaborative because if I don't want to be collaborative, then I should write a novel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and, um, and and I, I also love acting because that way I just show up and I do what I'm told, you know.
1: Yeah. listen. But to I, I will say that even editing, you, you can use the truly silly uh, ethos. Is that the right word? <laughs> for, yes, let's say that it is. Let's say that it is for now. Because you can find, you can choose the, the best take of a scene, like, oh, here's the one where they were the most truthfully invested, and therefore it's the funniest, or usually it is the funniest. Yeah. So you can, you, I do use that, the concept in editing, too.
0: Well, and that's what they always say, right, that a, that, a, that a film is directed in the editing room? Is that is that really true, or is that just what people say?
1: I always say that the editing is the last rewrite.
0: Right, okay.
1: I I would say it's not completely directed in the editing room, but the final direction of it is in the editing room, I I would say, and it could be heavily influenced by a director if they're sitting there with you, really hands-on, nuts and bolts working on it. But yeah, the actual, the final editing of the piece is, is yeah, it's the final rewrite, the final direction. That's cool, and do you get, do you have opportunities to
0: put together your cut uh, and then show it to the director and the director can go, oh, that really works or change this? Or, or is it always, are you always following a pretty tight script?
1: Well, the, the last four years I've been working on rea- in reality television, hmm. so there is no director. Right. but it's this it is a similar thing and before that yes usually editors are allowed to do their first cut and depending on how hands-on the directors or producers are they'll give you notes and you know you rip it apart and do it again and and it can be there's a whole uh, range of as how collaborative it is, or how much they leave you alone. Right. But yeah, there there definitely is that level of, you get to do your own cut, at least first. Do you miss acting? No, not really. I mean, I, I sort of started drifting away from acting way back in college even. Because <laughs> I wanted to direct more than act, but I still did a lot. What, um, was it, what, did you drift away from
0: acting before or after you and I played T- two of the most definitive New York Street <laughs> toughs uh, ever. In Indian Wants the Bronx.
1: <laughs> it was well after that. <laughs> no, they, yeah, that performance, uh, working with you caused me to <laughs> away from acting.
0: Uh, do you find this? Because I find that when I'm writing, sometimes when I'm directing, but a lot of times when I'm writing, you know, I'll write a role there I could never in a million years play, but I enjoy writing it and and see and, and imagining somebody else and then sometimes getting to see other people play the thing that I wrote and it's like, oh well I kind of acted that I guess do you get sort of that
1: vicarious thrill or you... well I get the, the the vicarious directing thrill from editing. When when you put together a scene and say, oh this is funny. All right. I'm, I'm gonna love to watch the, you know how people react to it.
0: It feels like this whole philosophy, this ethos of truth and silliness is like uh, yes ending in improvisation. You know, you accept the pre- somebody says something. You accept that premise and you add on to the premise. It's it 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 feels it feels similar in in the sense that okay, I'm 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 taking a leap with you to assume the truth of what you said, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. and I will add on to it truthfully. And yeah. together we will build something great.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. I like that.
0: Good, because I just pulled it out of my bottle. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Send us your theatrical wisdom via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RIC Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks, as always, to foolish sage Matthew Croak. Web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Yakima VJ, who left us a fantastic review on iTunes. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to John Horn from NPR station KPCC in Southern California. John is also an alum of the University of California at Berkeley Drama Department, where he once directed me in a production of Lone Star. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 742-2226th of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I mean, now you're an official gray-bearded eminence, but back then you were just just a bearded eminence. That's right.